What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, guys? Today, we have a very exciting conversation for you. It is with Connor Murphy, someone I've been very excited to talk to. Now, if you don't know who Connor is, he has a YouTube channel where he is well known for going out into public. And the entire point is that he takes off his shirt and he's got a really ripped body. Now, some people see this as exciting and fun. Some people think this makes him kind of a douche and a chad. But that was all before something very interesting happened. Connor had an experience on ayahuasca. And when he came back from that, he was deeply changed. He started putting out videos about enlightenment where he was trying to enlighten his friends. And in these videos, he seemed emotionally to be very off-center, often crying, yelling, screaming, and laughing almost maniacally in these videos. And it culminated in one video where he strongly intimated that he was going to take his own life and then the camera cut. At this point, friends of his who had seen the video and been contacted started searching for him in what culminated in the end of the day trying to find Connor. And at the end of the day, it turned out that Connor had given away his car, thrown away his cell phone, and spent the entire day in what he considered to be an elaborate plan to trick everyone that he actually was suicidal when in fact it was all an act. At this point, He was taken into a mental health psych ward where he was treated for 14 days. He came out of that and since then has now been sort of expounding on his spiritual insights. Additionally, he did a 40-day water fast and he live streamed the entire thing. So with the exception of a few moments where he was switching the live stream over at the end, he spent 40 days in his apartment not eating and you can see the effect that it had on his body, which was once the physique of a bodybuilder who was completely obsessed. So I was so interested in this conversation to speak to Connor, to find out a little bit about what drove him to do what he was doing, what spiritual insights did he have, and what, if anything, could I learn from him? Because quite frankly, as I tell him in this in this conversation, I didn't know whether he was a madman, a completely enlightened genius, or some combination of the two. So I hope that you enjoy this conversation. Awesome. Connor, my man, thank you so much for coming on. I have to tell you, I was day one enlightened Connor waiting for this conversation. So I am very, very excited. Thank you for coming on. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah, dude. I'm excited to be on here, man. <laughs> dude, I was following the saga. I, yeah. I watched the uh, the bathtub video. 
and then you, oh, disa- <laughs> you disappeared. So yeah, I wasn't. I literally wasn't sure if you were dead or not. Yeah, dude. So let's start really? here. So this is what I've been unable, and I've, I've truly have asked myself this question a hundred times. I think it's probably a little column A, a little column B. Are you t- talk about the line between crazy and enlightened? Because some of the times when I was watching you, where you seemed really erratic, I was like, oh man, this is classic mania bipolar stuff but what you were saying the content of it i was like but also this is classic all is one spiritual breakthrough and he seems free of a lot of the constraint that i've seen him experience like everyone experienced in the past so do you think that crazy and enlightened exist on a continuum are those things far from one another are they close you were in the psych war just talk about that yeah man so all people who are enlightened or have reached some sort of higher level of consciousness are crazy for sure. But not all crazy people have reached a higher level of consciousness or are enlightened, right? There's, there's good and bad crazy, uh, crazy. Really. If you think about it, it just kind of, it's a word that describes someone who thinks or behaves in a way that's different from society. Mm -hmm. Right. So in that case, for sure, I would consider myself, pretty crazy. Like I think completely different than the average person. But on the other hand, I don't consider that a bad thing whatsoever, because if you look at the average person in society, especially from a psychological perspective, they're depressed. They have like, I mean, mental disorders are increasing rapidly. People are more depressed. They're just not really happy with their lives. And that's the average person in America. So if, you know, if someone has kind of gotten to a level above that where they've kind of conquered those fears, anxieties, and are at a a happier state. Yeah. They could be considered crazy for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, some of the things that I did were definitely considered crazy, but I guess, I don't know. There was a reason behind everything. Everything that I did kind of had a plan. And even though it might be crazy, it was, it was in, um, it was all kind of done with a good heart, I guess you could say. Yeah. So in hindsight, do you think you had a psychotic episode or was it, do you really think that everything was uh, premeditated from a state that wasn't uh, because you saw ayahuasca in your system? Right. So, I mean, first of all, I guess the ayahuasca, it's weird, man, because yeah, the ayahuasca has effects after um, the fact, but it, it wasn't in my system, right? All this stuff happened like many days afterwards. Yeah. That's why I was right? amazed. Cause I've done ayahuasca a bunch of times and I feel like I was less affected three days later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's like, <clears throat> so the reason I did all these things that I did, it wasn't because there was some drug in my system. It was what the drug caused to happen to me, the awakening Mm-hmm. process. Right. So I could have done the same thing just if I would have broken, made this breakthrough, just sitting there meditating for 10 hours or something like that. Right. So it wasn't the, the drug. The drug was just a catalyst to have the awakening. But uh, theoretically, I could have had the awakening any number of ways and still had all these realizations and wanted to do all this stuff sure. that I did, yeah. I suppose. So Does that makes sense. I, I have a question because one of the things that actually surprised me is that you said you would probably never touch the stuff again. And I've done ayahuasca. I've done it a handful of times. Is that something that you felt like you had to say to put people at ease? Or, you do, or do you truly feel like I'm never going to do this? Because it seems like it had what you would consider a profoundly positive effect on you. Um, so is it, is it really like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to go back into that, that realm. Yeah, that's, that was definitely something 
at the start to put people at ease, mm-hmm. right? It was kind of part of the, the saga. I kind of wanted people to um, think I was in a certain state, like that I, it was kind of a negative experience and all this stuff. And then it was leading up to this, it was supposed to be kind of a, this mind blowing moment kind of at the end of the saga. So while I'm not like anxious to get my hands on it again, you know what I mean? Like it was a very, I'm very satisfied from the experience. You know what I mean? It's one of those, uh, I don't even want to call it a drug, a substance. It's not addictive in, in any way at all, but I could see myself doing it again, for sure, later down the line. Got it. Just so I understand, what do you say, what is the climax of your saga? Which moment do you think of for that? Uh, the climax of the saga, I mean, it, it was the first, what, seven, eight videos. It ends with the video, like the truth, kind of revealing how everything was kind of this crazy plan in order to promote spirituality. I have a question. So th- th- I hadn't thought of this one, but this is something that I that I often think about in terms of getting to the truth. It seemed like your implicit assumption sort of going through all of these things that you had pre-planned was that there was a bit, and I don't mean this negatively, of a manipulative aspect of like, I'm going to fake right and try to take people left. Do you think that that is a necessary or perhaps more powerful way to help people arrive at breakthroughs? Or is it important that at every step of the way, you feel like what you're representing is as authentic as possible? Um, I think it can go both ways, man, uh, for sure. I mean, my idea was uh, people's egos are so strong that if you right out of the bat, go at them with some spiritual concept, right? The ego, ego will reject it. Right. So to kind of get to the next higher level of consciousness or like open-mindedness, it needs to be like one rung up the ladder from where they are. Right. If you try and take too big of a leap, um, the ego just rejects it. It makes the ego stronger and they, they won't even consider that concept at all. Right. It, it questions their identity too much and they, they won't even um, consider it. And so the idea was, yeah, to kind of, it was like kind of a tricky, tricky thing to get people into kind of having a a mind opening experience. But in the end, um, it it doesn't matter. You can get there a bunch of different ways. I I think the importance is getting there. I don't think that this is the thing. So back then my mind was like, oh my gosh, what I experienced was so incredible and so revolutionary. Like if someone experienced it, that they would, it, it would be so life-changing that they, I mean, looking back on it, like looking back on it, I would be willing to be tortured to experience what I experienced mm-hmm. like easily. I mean, it, it's such a, it's such a life-changing, incredible experience. I mean, beyond life changing. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I, I kind of like, here's an example. I mean, say you're on some game show, right? But you, you didn't know you're on some game show. Your friend knew that he was on the game show and the game show required him to, you know, uh, frame you for a crime, put you in prison for a day, mm-hmm. but he can't tell you about it. Right. But the prize for the game show is a million dollars. Right. So in the moment you would be kind of like, you would be like, Oh my gosh, you're so mad at your friend. You just framed you. You're in prison for a day and you're so, so, so pissed. But all of a sudden you get out the next day and you win a million dollars and you're like, Oh shit. Well, yeah, of course. Like I would have stayed in prison for like longer than that, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of thing that I was trying to think about was like, yeah, I, 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 and again, I mean, I was definitely in an altered, I was on like a spiritual high. So it was definitely an altered state of mind, I guess. But my mindset back then was, whoa, like this, what I've experienced is so incredible. If everyone experienced what I experienced, the world would become 
an incredible place. Everyone would be uh, so much happier, so much more fulfilled. And I like, I am willing to do like anything to get people to like experience this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause in the end, even if someone went through a little bit of suffering, like they were kind of worried about me, you know, cause I, I faked my death, you know, they were, yeah. they were worried about me. If it caused them to be able to have some spiritual awakening, it'd be worth it. Because yeah. if you truly have a spiritual awakening, all those stresses, all those fears, all those, those anxieties are, are wiped out. And so it'd be worth it in the end. That was kind of my mindset. Do you think it hurts the credibility of the teachings? Um, not necessarily, not if they understand it all, mm -hmm. right? If you understand it on a deeper level, like if you kind of understand what I just told you, that's kind of part of the teachings and you kind of realize that um, there's this deeper level where, um, you know, uh, yeah, like there, there's kind of this deeper level on the surface. Yeah. If you just look at it on a surface level, people be like, oh yeah, he's crazy. But you'll see that so many people, like if you go through my comment section, it's so polarizing, right? Like so many people like really, really get it. And then so many people like, you know, what the fuck, um, especially in the, in the older videos. Right. So it really just depends what kind of level of thinking you're on, I Got suppose. It. How effective do you think you were? Cause I remember the, the original videos, enlightening my friends, failing to enlighten my parents. Uh, do you feel that you were able to, especially with the people closest to you? Cause I know the comments can, you can are confusing cause who knows, do you feel like you were able to pass that on or is that something that's really ineffable and is, is tough to kind of create in someone else? Um, it is extremely difficult to create in someone else. And again, a, a lot of people, they have to be ready. You know, they have to be on a certain level of consciousness to jump to the next one. Right. And again, the whole first, the enlightenment videos, right. Those were, those were part of the saga. Like, like everything was really complicated. And I, I, I think not a lot of people, some people did, but not a lot of people understood the whole climax in the final video, but all those enlightenment videos at the start, I was purposely acting a little out there because it was supposed to draw the connection. And we can talk about this. We can talk about exactly what the whole story I was trying to portray um, to lead to that climax of the truth video. Mm -hmm. But essentially it was meant to, for these teachings or whatever, to seem a little crazy at the start. Right. And where a small number of people <laughs> would get it, and, but um, most people would not. And then gradually, as you can see, like in the more recent videos, I kind of talk on a more uh, normal, less crazy level. Yeah. Right. Well, so, yeah. so do you feel you're as in it today as you were then? It sounded like you, there was a difference of spiritual high and having done this stuff. I know there's kind of this period where you could close your eyes and tap into it and then weeks go by and it's, it becomes more a memory than it is like a felt sensation. So do you feel that you could easily slip into that you know, crazy, not, I don't mean that in an insulting way, but that mm -hmm. high, low, all over the place, these ideas to, to sort of make this thing happen. Can you slip into that right now? Yeah. It's a super hard concept to really explain because I was definitely on some sort of spiritual high, but all the realizations and kind of the deep seated knowing never really goes away. Right. So I definitely feel different if that makes sense. Like just from a physiological level, I probably have a less, lot less like gamma brain waves firing in my brain. Right. Um, so gamma brain waves, they have a lot to do with like those like epiphany moments, like, Oh, 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 you know what I mean? Like those realization moments, you know, but all the things that I experience and realize, um, they're still there. They're, they're still like, but they're, I guess they're more in the background. Right. But there's still that deep seated knowing from that experience. But 
I don't, I guess I don't perceive it directly as much as I was mm-hmm. right. And throughout the whole process, there were kind of waves, right. And it was like waves like, Oh, and like super high, then kind of back to normal, then high again. And it, then it kind of dwindled out, but yeah. So it's like, I don't perceive it directly as much as I did, mm-hmm. but I still have that deep seated knowing that gives me a lot of inner peace and has, it does a lot of great things uh, in my life, I guess. Got it. Got it. Did you want to hop in? No, I was going to pivot to talking about the stuff you're producing now. Sure. Go ahead. Well, no. So, so I think, uh, upon watching at first I was like, okay, Connor had a schizophrenic break and it's never going to be okay. <laughs> and then even the way you were speaking in the videos, like now you're talking, like I would say friend that I would hang out with in terms of your cadence mm-hmm. of speech. Whereas before it, it was much more like, okay, well, this isn't how like a human has a conversation. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, yeah. And when yeah. I and then when I saw you coming out of it, you're like, I'm not going to eat for 40 days. I'm not going to have sex for 70 days. I was like, oh, Connor's going to go straight sod guru with his content. Uh, and But now I think you're also back to like picking up women with spirituality, shirtless photos, bodybuilding, I think like energy drink sponsors. Is that all right? Yeah. And so and so my question is, you you have this breakthrough. You think the world is a better place when people are enlightened. And they probably shouldn't covet being jacked and drinking energy drinks, right? Because like your body is a temple. I know you're going vegan. So how do you think about that in terms of creating what people clearly want from you, which is to take your shirt off and seduce women versus what's in line with your new values? which I think would not necessarily be shotgunning a Red Bull and going to a spring break party with your shirt off. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't think they're necessarily mutually exclusive. Um, I think you can be very spiritual and kind of live life and and do any experience as well. You know, I I was considering it. I I wasn't really sure if I was going to go full side guru or not. Um, I realized that, you know, I could, but there was something in me that felt like, I, there was like, I need to just live life as well. Like there was more to learn. I had more to learn just by, by living life in general. I wasn't ready to completely just like ascend and live in Nirvana for the rest of my life. Right. Um, why not? Well, I, there's, I, I don't really know how to explain it, but I kind of came back down and I just, it's just an inner feeling, right? It's just, uh, it feels right to me to like, I have more to learn just from living life. I'm not ready to go and sit on a mountain and just meditate peacefully all day. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just this kind of thing in the back of my mind. It's just like, I have more to learn. I have, I want to experience life. And I think that there can be a balance between the two. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah, your body is a temple. I mean, you know, it definitely, I think it's easier to have these experiences, if you're eating correctly, exercising correctly, if your body is in a more natural state, right? But then again, it's, I think that it's totally fine to go and have fun and do what people would consider more egoic things as long as you're not attached to it, right? So it's one thing to go and pick up a girl and be super, super attached to it and have an ego about it. And, you know, if you get reject rejected it questions your identity and then you you know you get upset um it's that's like not good but it's another thing to go and have fun and be very very present and just not identify 
with these egoic ventures, but experience them and enjoy them nonetheless, mm-hmm. right? It actually makes these, after some sort of awakening process, it actually makes these other things in life so much more enjoyable, yeah. right? There's so much, it, you're so much more carefree, right? It, that was the thing when I really had that awakening experience. That's one of the reasons why I, you know, went crazy. It was part of the, the plan leading up to the climax or whatever, but it was also to show people just how, when you have this experience, you just, all insecurities, all fears, they just fade away. And so you don't care what people think at all. There's no social anxiety. You know, what's keeping everyone from completely expressing themselves, right? From yelling when they want to yell, from screaming when they want to scream, right? It's, it's that social fear, right? And that's this, you know, evolutionary trait that we've, we have deep, it's deep in our biology to keep us alive. But kind of when you surpass that, you realize that that's, it's, it's all bullshit, right? It's, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of surface level stuff and it's, it's just our biology. It's not our, our deeper selves. And when you realize that you can just act however you want, you don't give a fuck. And it's, it's the most incredible freeing experience. And on the one hand, I was just enjoying that. Like that, that was so fun. And on the other hand, I wanted to show people that like you can, this is the freedom that you can have. Like, yeah, I was going crazy, but you can notice how free I was feeling. Like I I didn't give a fuck about what people thought and that's considered crazy, but it's also considered like freedom. So, yeah. so I, I identify, well, maybe identify is not the, the, uh, the best word. I connect with the word freedom a lot. And what I find is in my own life, there are certain things that make me feel more and less free. And I've never had an enlightened experience, an enlightened experience or a breakthrough where I've been like, oh, now I'm awake. And for that reason, I, I noticed that certain things like social media, checking comments, likes, for me, one of the reasons I stopped lifting weights as much was because I was, I was like, wow, I'm really trying to get attention for this. I'm really <laughs> enjoying people saying, particularly women, that they find my body attractive. And I... In because I hadn't had this enlightenment experience where I could just enjoy it, I had to step away. And I'm curious if you mm. find that too, where there's where there are things that tempt you more than others. That's what I see. So when I'm taking a walk, it's easier for me to tap into inner peace. And when I'm checking comments on Instagram or even posting on or Instagram. posting on Instagram, or I'm concerned with uh, how people are perceiving me, it's harder for me to feel that. So I'm curious if for you, it's all same, same at this point? Like, doesn't matter if I'm out there getting my abs rubbed or whether I'm meditating, I still feel that inner peace or if there are activities that take you closer and further away from it. Yeah, absolutely. Especially at the start, it's going to be much more difficult to get to a place of non-attachment if you're living in a very egoic environment, you know? So if you're, I mean, think of, if you're like some model and your whole job is just to be identified with your looks, you know what I mean? It's gonna be hard to, to snap out of that. But on the other hand, when you kind of reach a place, a really deep place of non-attachment and really have some sort of spiritual experience like that, where you, 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 know, you might have some sort of ego death or you just kind of I don't know, you realize some sort of higher self, some sort of deeper inner peace, however you want to really describe it, then yeah, you can go back to that stuff and still maintain that for sure. Now it might be a little more difficult. So for me, 
it, it tends to be a little more difficult, but I'm, I guess I'm able to do it. Mm-hmm. Like for me, I'm always mindful. I'm always aware, no matter what, like if I see myself kind of becoming attached to something or make like a negative emotion arises, I'm always like super, super aware of it. Right. And again, it's like, you can, it's, it's, it kind of goes on a deeper level. You can experience like, say you get validation from a girl. She says your body is attractive. Right. Mm -hmm. And you receive validation from that. You can experience that validation from like a, a deeper place, like a higher place and observe that validation rather than be attached to it and like identify with that. Mm-hmm. So all these, all these feelings, like you can go through life and experience everything. You can experience sadness, joy, all these emotions and everything, but it comes from a different place of observing it. Right. It's, it's almost like, like it's a video game character. Right. So I, I still mean, get attached to my video game characters. That's the problem. I still, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. If something bad happens to him, I scream and curse and everybody hears it happen in the room. <laughs> That's the thing. And I mean, there's different levels of attachment to your video game characters, yeah. right? But in the end, your attachment to a video game character is obviously way less than sure. the actual, than your actual self, right? And you still care about your video game character, right? You see, obviously, like you want your video game, game character to, to look good, to perform good in whatever video game they're doing. But at the end of the day, you know, there's just, there's something so much more, mm-hmm. right? So you don't, you don't get as uh, attached to it as you would your, your normal life. And, and to me, like this, this life, this human experience is so much less of actual, you know, being than, actual than the actual being like then the deeper the true like your true nature i guess mm-hmm. so did you have something i have i have a specific question but if you want to hop in well, i i have a specific question sure. i feel like i'm retreading ground but okay. uh but i'm curious why promote energy drinks um well first of all because to make money <laughs> i mean for sure like to make money um i don't think energy drinks are that bad uh you know um what? people use them in moderation no no i um, i agree i guess that I, I assumed the answer was to get money. My question is, is after achieving enlightenment, why do you need more money? Um, to, to live in, in this world. I mean, what exactly do you expect me to do? I could, like I said, I could go meditate on a mountain all day, but to live life in our society, I, I need money. I mean, that's just how our society works. And I feel like I, I'm experiencing this, you know, this state of consciousness, this, this being this human form in this society for a reason. And I think that I, you know, I want to live in it. Yeah. You know, I I mean, and I I need money to do so. And the cool thing is that the more money that I get, the more I can actually spread this message, the more resources I have. It's not like I'm like super freaking rich. Like I couldn't, I couldn't do this full. That's the other thing. I couldn't just go full side guru right now, full time without making like super, super lifestyle, without essentially living in, in close to like poverty, right? Because yeah. I'm not making money from my spiritual content at the moment. Sure. So no, this yeah. is something I ask because it's something I wrestle with as well, which is uh, on the one hand, I want to be, I want to find inner peace. I want to be able to live the way that the Buddhists and the Taoists espouse. And at the same time, I try to grow my business, stay in shape, um, make sure that I have at least someone in my life who I'm romantically, uh, you know, with. So I have all these external attachments as well. And when I look at the other people who say that, I would not say I'm enlightened. I'd say I'm very much like in the process. 
when I look at other people who say they're enlightened, they tend to be in robes, eating rice every day. Like they do live basically impoverishedly. You know what I mean? And I think if I met with them, they would tell me that what is in my way for enlightenment is the pursuit of growing my business, having a business at all, maybe having a girlfriend at all. And I'm curious because you, I think you would say you're enlightened, uh, which is, I, I would not make that claim. So I'm trying to understand you're the first person I've seen who would say they're enlightened while also trying to uh, do things that are monetarily motivated, do things that are motivated by being attractive. And so I'm trying to understand how those things coexist. Does that make sense? Yeah, I feel you. And I wouldn't necessarily, enlightened is a weird word. It has so many different definitions. Like I wouldn't necessarily claim that I'm enlightened as, as like the Buddha were, right? I think there are different levels. I think it's a process. I think there are different stages. Like I, I think it's a spectrum, right? Like I would say, like I like to describe enlightenment as a spectrum. I think my fr friend, like, like Frank Yang, I don't know if you know, that is, he's a fitness influencer, but, but also kind of like a spiritual influencer. He's the most enlightened person that I know. He's on some, like, he's on some like crazy level where he completely experiences the world in like some weird 360 degree, like it just some weird, weird way that like no one else on the planet does. Um, but, um, I think it's a spectrum and while I do believe that it's, it might be easier, right. It might be easier to go and achieve full inner peace where you give up all the desires, right? Because the problem is, it's like, you're trying to experience inner peace, but then, you know, you have these distractions, you have all, all these different desires that distract you, but it's also possible to just be extremely aware of those desires and then just not get attached to them. Right. So I realized that, you know, I need to have a business and make money to survive in this society, but that's not what gives me self-worth. I don't identify with that. It, it's just like, you're just playing with form. You're just this character and, and you're just kind of playing with form. Like if you think of like, and again, people can have these experiences so, so, so many different ways. You don't have to go sit on in robes on a mountain somewhere to get there. If you, if you look at like Eckhart Tolle, Eckhart Tolle never really meditated a day in his life. He was just, he actually got this, this awakening um, out of like, like suffering. He was sitting in his room one day. He was, you know, he was contemplating suicide and all of a sudden he just had this weird realization. He was like, okay, I cannot live with myself, but who, who is the me that can't live with myself? There must be two me's. And then he like went through this whole crazy process. He basically blacked out and he was just in his room. He was the furthest away from inner peace from anyone. It was this just extreme shift and you can get there any amount of ways. And yeah, like if you, if that's, you know, all you care about, then yeah, I guess you sh should probably go go to some Taoist culture, sit with them and just become a monk. Right. But I think that there's more to life. I think that there's a balance and I think that there's a lot to be learned from like the spiritual side, but then also I, I think it's cool and there's a lot to learn and there's a lot to experience from just incorporating that into the real world as well. So I'm, I'm curious how the spiritual experience has impacted some of your goals with regards to, you know, 3D material things. So particularly money, health, and sex. So, and I'll, I'll take mm -hmm. them one by one. So money, for instance, 
uh, I understand, you know, having uh, operating in a capitalist society is if you want to continue <laughs> to have the human spiritual experience, you need to put food in your belly, which costs money. But obviously there's there's a whole spectrum of I want a Lambo and I want a multi-million dollar mansion to I need less. So or even be, I want even I want a five thousand dollar a month penthouse. Sure. Versus I want to have a hovel. Yeah. So, so I'm curious, one, money. So like, has, has it shifted your approach to money? Uh, do, do you have different financial goals? Two, health. One of the things that I see in the health and fitness industry is that the word fitness is often used to hide the fact that people are primarily concerned with the way that they look and not necessarily the way that they feel or what they're capable of doing. And so what I saw in myself was that, oh, wow, like, I care that my body looks nice, but my heart health is shit and I can't stretch at all. I have no mobility, no flexibility, and I'm like locked into this this rigid thing. So I'm curious how your fitness, if it has changed and then sex, but this might be a longer one, but I saw you've been <laughs> you've been on the 70 day. Uh, I don't know if you're continuing it, the no fap and no sex, uh, which I believe is a huge difference from where you were prior <laughs> to to some of this stuff. So what is the healthy role now of sex? And I know that's three big things, but I, I'm curious how they've all shifted for you. Yeah, man. So money, it's like it, at the end of the day, I, I really just want to be comfortable, mm-hmm. you know, um, like you guys were talking about, it is a, a little harder, you know, like I'm not, again, I'm not perfect. I wouldn't say I'm like fully Buddha enlightened, right? Like, I still stress about things, you know, but I'm not as attached to it. Right. Like I I noticed that and I kind of smile at it afterwards. I'm like, Oh yeah, this is, it's like, this is just the character being stressed. Like I don't feel like it's, it's the true me being stressed. I feel like it's the character being stressed. Right. I'm able to step away from that, but I still like, I would rather not be, I suppose. And again, it's not like I think about in that moment, I'm like, Oh, I don't want to be stressed. Cause that's, that's not good either. You just accept it and, and you witness it. But ideally, you know, I like working towards not being stressed. So in terms of money, I would just like to get to a place where I'm comfortable. I don't think of that, of it that much, you know, right now, I don't know, like everything's fine, of course, but it's a little sporadic. I guess it's not that stable. I mean, you know how it is being an entrepreneur, right? So ideally I would make enough money where I'm not worried about it. Right? Is that, is that but, less than your prior goals? Because, I mean, I, I know we have some common friends, and I'm not sure that you shared this, but some of our common friends, like Brandon Carter, he's fucking highly motivated. Man, that guy, like, yeah. wants wants to earn a lot of money. And, and I don't everyone know if, has a different number, too. Yeah. If you ask someone, some people think you need $10 million to be comfortable. Some people think it's six. Some people mm-hmm. think it's 10 grand in the bank. Yeah, has your, has your number moved up or down? Has it shifted? A little bit. I mean, I don't think about it too much like an exact number. I guess the thing that I noticed is that, wow, I can be at peace and happy at a lot lesser living conditions, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, right? I lived like, in Latin America like, for a long time and it was a great, yeah. great experience of that. Right. Like, so I can imagine my, like, I couldn't, I can imagine myself more like in shittier living conditions and being a lot happier. Mm-hmm. But in general, it's like, I just kind of, I I go a lot more by just kind of feeling now, like whatever kind of wherever the vibe takes me. I know that seems kind of like woo, but like just kind of whatever I feel is kind of the right thing to do in the moment I'm going to do and kind of whatever, whatever money that makes me, I'm kind of just going to accept that Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Got it. So it's less of a plan. It sounds like. 
Yeah. So I'm not like shooting for a number, Mm -hmm. but what I've have noticed is that I will be content with much, much less of a number Mm -hmm. than I was beforehand. Got it. That makes sense. Got it. So, and then in terms of health, yeah, it's definitely changed. It's one of the reasons I I think that I was so motivated to do the 40 day fast was this, I just complete, uh, unattachment to, you know, my like physique before I was focused on building a aesthetic physique that was attractive to girls and that guys envied. Mm -hmm. Right. And then I realized how much more important just health in general is because not only do you feel better, but when you feel better and you're more in a a natural state, a healthy state, you're, you're better spiritually, right? You, you have your, the probability of you having spiritual experiences are are more. And if, I mean, it's just because you're closer to your natural state, Mm -hmm. right? Um, people's minds are so messed up because of their health. Everything is connected, man, like physical, spiritual, um, and mental health. They're all connected. And, you know, mental health is decreasing because physical health is decreasing, right? All the shit we put in our bodies, all the, the toxins in our environment. And so I realized that health is much, much more important. And I wanted to prioritize that over my physique. I still want to have a good physique, but again, it's, it's kind of like the character in a video game. Like, yeah, like express yourself, like have the body you want to, you want to have, like look the way you want to do or look the way you want to. But, um, it's just, they're more, there are things that are more important. And so, yeah, if I was purely focused on building a good physique and I didn't care about my health at all, um, and disregarding the ethics of it, I probably wouldn't be vegan. Yeah. You go chicken right. and broccoli every day, you know, and, and do that, that bodybuilder diet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But because I am prioritizing health, I, yeah, I'm not eating animal products. I'm eating like whole food, plant-based and basically I'm just going to get, try and get as good as a physique as I can while not sacrificing my health whatsoever. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah. So, so it's a reordering of priorities is what it sounds like that you are putting uh, diet in terms of, okay, what is the healthiest human diet that I can find? Here's what it is. Okay. Within that, how can I maximize how handsome I look? <laughs> and then, yeah, yeah. so it's a limiter, yeah. it's a limiter on that. Got it. And there's a little bit of a balance too, because again, like, I'm not sure I haven't tried it out completely, but you know, some, a lot of spiritual people do like fruitarian diets, like, like the diets that the earliest most natural humans would use before any ego crept into the system at all. Essentially what in in a primate, like a basic chimp would eat. Right. So just like fruits and nuts. And apparently that, that might be like good for spirituality. I don't know. I haven't tried that. I I don't think that that's worth it. Right. Like, I, I don't know. There's, there's like a balance to everything. I think I found a good balance for sure. Um, just kind of the diet of, you know, uh, healthy whole grains, vegetables, um, good vegan protein sources. I mean, beans, lentils, stuff like that. I don't know. I think it's a good balance yeah. for sure. I feel good. I feel great. Um, yeah. Let's and do so, sex now. This is the big one. So, so <laughs> according to, again, so we, we, you and I have hung out once or twice, but we have common friends and, and word on the grapevine is that you were uh, very successful in terms of finding short-term partners <laughs> well even in your in, in, in this saga you said you were hooking up with like three girls a day that well okay that well, that was in, that was in the goodbye video and remember not the goodbye video was definitely acting okay, okay. um i'm not saying i haven't hooked up with three yeah. girls in a day but I, i'm not saying i did that every day as well 
Um, that was definitely a little exaggerated, but yeah, it's really interesting. And I'm still trying to figure it all out because I'm still in the whole kind of process of it. But yeah, for sure. I, re- I realized that beforehand, before the whole awakening process, I was, and again, I don't know if it was an egoic identification or like a physical addiction, but there was something that wasn't really healthy about my sex life. And, you know, I talked to a, a lot of friends that they have similar issues with this. They'll get into this, I don't know, they'll fall into this trap where kind of everything revolves around sex, you know, like everything that you do, you're just trying to get to your next sexual encounter, whether it be trying to be successful at your job so you can make more money so you can be in better situations to get you laid. Right. That that's the way their mind works. Or, you know, you're on Tinder all day, swiping, spending hours a day, swiping, trying to hook up with someone. Right. Sure. I think, I think it's true for a lot of men. I mean, well, there's, I forget the yeah. medium, but someone says if the, if all the women in the world disappeared, men would live in cardboard boxes on the street immediately. Like <laughs> yeah, there's, exactly. there's an argument yeah. to made that all, a lot of men, their gym, their gym, their job, it's all motivated by to some extent yeah. fitting into no, society I- and getting women. I agree. And that's where I was. But, and although it's so normal looking back on it from where I am now, it seems somewhat unhealthy for sure. sure. Like even, even though it seems completely normal. Um, and afterwards, like, I, I don't know exactly what was the, the cause, what were, whether it was the spiritual awakening process or the fast, I think the fast had more to do with it because after I had the spiritual awakening, I actually found that um, sex was even more enjoyable. I was really experiencing sex on a whole new level because there's something incredible about sex when all your insecurities go away, right? Um, you know, when you're having sex, especially with a new partner, it can be very awkward. There's not a lot of communication. A lot of times it's not exactly like how you want, you, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But after all your insecurities completely fade away, it can be a completely new experience. And I had some incredible sexual experiences where it actually felt like consciousnesses merged and there was no separation uh, between me and the girl. There was a lot of incredible things. And so after the spiritual awakening process, sex got really cool. Um, but I, I did find myself feeling less addicted to it, but what the real change happened after the 40 day fast, because yeah, I went 70 days without ejaculating whatsoever, right? Which was about 67 days more <laughs> than I've ever gone in my life since yep. I was like 15 years old, which is, you know, um, that's kind of crazy to think about. And most guys, you know, most guys, it's probably the same thing. I mean, do you know any guy that's gone like more than a week without like yeah, ejaculating? If I, like, if I went a week without ejaculating, my body would just do it for me while I slept. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that, that hasn't happened to me. I mean, not that I, I know of, but yeah, exactly. Like people would, you know, go crazy. But the thing is, it's the hardest up to seven days and then it gets easier. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, I- it's very interesting. Um, I don't know exactly why, but we can think of it. We we could go through some theories from like an evolutionary standpoint and stuff like that, but they've done studies that show that when you, um, you refrain from ejaculation, your testosterone levels will rise and peak after seven days, but then they'll go down. Mm -hmm. And as we know, libido and testosterone levels, they correlate usually. Right. So essentially you could theorize that your libido will go up up to seven days and then start to go down. Um, which is very interesting. 
And so, yeah, throughout the 40 day fast, I noticed that it just, it went away completely. And it was probably the combination of, you know, not ejaculating, but also, you know, my testosterone levels were dipping down as well because of the fast. No, I think fasting oh. has a lot to do with it. My friend did Survivor and he, he was on an island and he said one of the contestants was like an international, beautiful person of some kind. And after not having food for two weeks, they were cuddling for warmth because it's like raining on an island, basically. And he said it was the most asexual thing in the world. And it was only after he lost, got to a hotel and ate some food and then saw her that for the first time in the entire experience, he was like, wow, she's attractive. So I think there's yeah. something about when your body is starving, it just goes forget about having <laughs> sex. We need food. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, think of it from just a survival evolutionary perspective. Like, I mean, you know, you're starving. Your body wants to focus its, its energy on yeah. getting food. Yeah, we can't right? get food for us and a kid. We can. We got to get food for us. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, even when your testosterone levels are raised, when your sex drive is, is raised, I mean, your metabolism is going to be higher. You're going to be expending more calories, and it's not good if you're starving. So, yeah, I experienced this state of just complete... It was just, yeah, it was pretty like just asexualness, dude. It was like, I was looking on girls on, on Instagram and they just seemed like how I look at guys. Like it was <laughs> the weirdest thing, but I was like, this is so weird. Like I've never experienced this in my life since I was like, I mean, geez, like eight years old, like That's a kid. Dream. Right. But it was this incredible freeing experience. Cause I was like, Whoa, like I wasn't driven by sex anymore. And I started noticing all these just normal little pleasures in every day-to-day -day life. I remember, I remember the story um, that really, it, it kind of was a wake-up call after I started to think about it. But my friend like invited me to Hawaii on this cool, awesome vacation with like the bros. It was, was going to be awesome. And like Maui or whatever is going to be this awesome time. And I didn't want to go because I didn't see like any girls in the picture. I was like, yo, are we okay? So Maui, it's not like where the clubs are or anything. Are there any girls coming? No. Well then it's like, I don't even want to go. Mm -hmm. But it's like, are you kidding me? Like as far as human experiences go, just being in Hawaii, being in nature and being with your friends, like that's such an awesome experience. And because I was so just like uh, addicted to sex, I guess I, I, I it wasn't even fun for me at all. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't go. And so afterwards, when that kind of went away, I realized that every, everything just started bringing me so much more pleasure. Like I would just go outside for a walk and I was very present and I was looking around, everything looked, looked cool. Like I was more present, everything was dope. And then, um, obviously eating, but that was probably cause I haven't, I didn't eat for 40 days. Um, you just watching a movie. Like I got so much more enjoyment out of watching a movie. I hadn't watched movies regularly in, in a, in a while, but all of a sudden they just became, better. And so I started getting more enjoyment out of the little things in life. And it was, yeah, it was super, it was, it was, it was awesome. Um, I think that there's a balance though, for sure. Ideally, I think that there's a way to not have that compulsive nature yeah, this is the dream. to, yeah, that not have that compulsive nature to sex, but still, um, still have it whenever you want, I guess. And so, yeah, uh, spoiler alert, I've broken the streak <laughs> um, since then. That's why I made the video because I was planning on breaking it. You know what I mean? Yeah. If I was, if I wasn't, yeah, I would have went to like, yeah, a hundred days or, or whatever. But yeah, so I, I broke the streak and I still feel great. I still feel exactly how, I, well, I, I didn't feel like in the peak of the fast, my sex drive is definitely lower. Like my sex drive is higher now. I'm feeling, I'm feeling more normal. But yeah, I still don't have that compulsive nature to it, which is great. Like beforehand, it was like, I'll get in the, I'll get in the, um, 
the habit of like, Oh, like I need to be constantly having girls every so often. And if I don't for a long period of time, I get even more anxious and I'm like, Oh, you know, I get like more sexually frustrated. Right now it's like, I broke the streak, but I'm like, good. Like I could go another 70 days without it. Like, and I'd be fine. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, and like, I could, I'm just not compulsive about it, which is cool. I hope it stays that way. And again, I wouldn't mind like going out to bars and like trying to pick up girls. That'd be cool. But it, it, I don't like when like, I feel like I need to go do that, you know? And I'm at a good place right now mm-hmm. and that's awesome. And I hope it stays that way. So, yeah. Yeah. No. So I have a, a couple of questions about this. Generally speaking, the, the interesting thing with sex is when it comes to food, you can't not eat and continue to live. So you have to find a way to do it. Sex is optional though. And so I've, I've thought a lot about this and I, and I can understand and relate to the desire to enjoy something without feeling compelled to experience it on a regular basis, whatever that basis is for you. So I, I often worry, were I to do the 70 day thing like you, which I have never done, that I would probably experience what you experienced, but could also fall back into it within Mm -hmm. 20 or 30 days could find myself there. So are you taking any steps to be aware of that or concerned with that? Or is it just kind of, you're, you're just seeing where things lead? I I think the key, and again, this is such a key just in in life in general, in any sort of spiritual endeavor at all, it really just comes down to really, really being aware of, of it. Mm -hmm. You know, so many people just kind of go through life um, as kind of zombies, right? Their, their mind is just kind of running uh, their experience and they're not really aware of it. And so that's the key. Like I'm, I'm super, super aware of that, of the potential for that to happen. Mm -hmm. And so if I ever feel that I'm planning on just being very aware of it and stepping back Mm -hmm. a little bit and being like, Whoa, you know, it's cool. Like you don't have to go chase girls right now. Not a big deal. Let's go enjoy other parts of life. Let's sit down, meditate, you know? So that's kind of the plan, you know? Cause yeah, I definitely don't want to be back there. But on the other hand, that's the thing. It's like, you know, sex is a cool pleasure that I don't think anyone should really cut completely out of their life. You know, I mean, yeah, it's cool if you're a Buddhist monk and you sit there and meditate, you're completely content with it. But I mean, I I, I don't know. I still think that life is all about balance and yeah. And again, like I want to be able to go out with my friends and go out to bars and and have fun, but yeah, I just don't want to be compulsive about it. So the steps I'm taking, man, I mean, is just really, really being aware of it. And if I feel that feeling coming on, I just really need to be aware of it and take a step back. And a lot of times when you're aware of something, whether it comes to negative, negative emotions or yeah, you're just aware of this oncoming compulsiveness, it starts to fade away. Yeah. It's really only when you dip into this kind of state of real unconsciousness where it can kind of take over. Yeah. And, so, I, and yeah. it seems like desire and aversion, meaning, oh, I want to stay in this state are two sides of the same coin. Like you're, you're trying to maintain something. And in this case, the desire is to be free. And so I, I very much have experienced the the fact that true awareness is the only thing that really unties your addictions, which is to say mm-hmm. that if you became deeply aware of the way that this makes you feel, made you feel, et cetera, it would reflexively unwind. And to the degree that you find yourself engaging in compulsive behaviors that make you unhappy later is the degree to which you're unaware of something. But just to be clear, you don't mean be aware of your addiction. You mean be aware of the fact that while the female addiction gets you the pleasure of sex, it comes with the anxiety of if she likes you, mm-hmm. the effort. If you, if you felt all of that at its core and also felt the hole stop. that it was coming from, which is probably not, oh, I need 
a new stranger. It's probably like I need to feel love or I need to feel connected to another human being. If all of that could be completely entered into your awareness, yeah, you just go do something that was healthier without having to control yourself and treat yourself like a taskmaster, which is something that I'm trying to do myself because I recognize that, like I said, aversion and desire, two sides of the same coin. So the degree to which you have to stay away from something to avoid, oh God, I'm going to get caught up in it is the degree to which it still controls you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they, you know, Eastern culture, cultures will talk about this all the time, but th there's that weird paradox where like, you know, you want to be spiritually enlightened and you have the desire yeah, yeah. to have no desires, right? It's, it's, it's a desire. So there's this weird paradox. And again, truth is filled with paradox. That's the thing. It's like, um, yeah, people shouldn't discount it just cause it's a paradox. But um, yeah, I don't know. The awareness is just the key to everything. I want to talk about, you mentioned two consciousnesses merging. So I've heard traditional conservatives, people like Jordan Peterson in the past, talk about the dangers of uncommitted sex. And they tend to come at it from a religious perspective. But there is a bit of this, this kind of this new agey idea that you're mixing energies with someone and you should be discriminatory about how you do that, not in terms of race, but in terms of do you care for this person? Is this someone that you want to let in to affect you in a deep way? Now, not being an enlightened individual, that has not been my experience of more casual sex, which is it's this profound intermingling of energies. So I'm curious, having had this experience, abstained from sex, experiencing at least once this merging of consciousnesses, do you think that you will go back to having casual sex or is it something that has become more sacred to you? So this merging of consciousnesses that I was talking about, I mean, this was casual sex. Okay. Right. And yeah, this was. And I feel like when you are more, when you are at a higher level of consciousness, I, I would think the drawbacks of having casual sex go, go away. <laughs> like they, they, they're even less. It's funny. What I've noticed is that girls who are more spiritually awakened, they are much more, I wouldn't say promiscuous in a sense, but they're like, their sex drive is like way higher. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that being at a higher level of consciousness makes it much, much better because I mean, if you look deep down, it's like, what causes the negative effects from casual sex? It's like, what are all these negative emotions that you experience? Well, it's all just based upon the ego, right? It's you'll, you know, you have, I mean, let's see, what's a negative effect of having casual sex. I mean, if you all of a sudden are, have some emotional effects, like afterwards, like you feel bad about it, or I don't know, you, you maybe feel attached to the person. It's some sort of attachment, right? If you strip all that away and are free from the ego and are free from attachment and just enjoy sex for what it is, which is this incredible human to human interaction. Um, I, I don't see how there can really be any negatives from it. So, um, and it, I agree. I agree with you. In my experience, though, the, the spiritual women that I've met, and I've gone to a bunch of spiritual events, and they do tend to be very like Bacchanal in the sense that it's threesomes and foursomes and no one's getting jealous and everything's free love, right. very hippie-ish. But then when you get down to it, when you start to get to know them, like the day you meet them, everything they say is perfect. But when you get to mm -hmm. know them, you realize that actually all the same issues are occurring, which is to say they they 
espouse free love, but then they are jealous of someone or they're covetous of one of the guys or whatever it is. And in my experience, actually, the most drama filled communities I've seen are the <laughs> open, the open minded spiritual ones that they, on the outside, they look amazing with all the group sex and, and lack of jealousy. But then when you get into it, you're like, oh, this is actually much more dramatic than my friends who are just dating regular people. And I'm curious just, if you, you've, yeah, I'm curious because I, I feel like a lot of times it's so hard to tell who's living it and who's just saying the right things. Because when you study well, enough yeah. enlightenment, everyone knows how to say the right things. I could, if I were, if I lied, I could just fake being a guru as long as the camera wasn't on me for more than like a half hour a day. And uh, as I've personally gotten to the root of some of these communities, I'm, I go, oh, this is actually much worse than the average people that I know. Um, and I'm curious. I guess if you have seen that yourself yet with the these people. Interesting. Um, I haven't like dated too many spiritual, like super spiritual people. I haven't really dove deep into communities like that, but it, the people that you're talking about, yeah, they're probably, they have the desire to get there and they kind of realize they're like, Oh, okay. So if I was really uh, spiritually awakened, I wouldn't have any sort of fear at all, which includes, jealousy. And so I should be participating in these orgies or whatever and not getting jealous. But then of course, when you really get to know them, it looks like they're not there yet, you know, but they're trying to be, and that's all it is, is they're simply not there. They're trying to be, but yeah, they still have those, um, issues Mm -hmm. for sure. And I was, um, fortunate enough to, yeah, get to a place and at least with one other girl too, I feel like we really got to a place where, yeah, like everything, everything disappeared. It's an incredible experience when you can be with a girl and it's no different from yourself. Like I got to a place with this girl. And again, like this is, I've dated girls for a couple of years and it was a quarter of the depth that I got with this girl that I was just seeing casually. And uh, yeah, it was a couple different girls. Um, you can get to a place where there's like no separation whatsoever. It's literally like you're talking to yourself. Like that your deepest, darkest secret, you can just say, you can be completely free and open. There's no holding back that, you know, uncomfortable feeling in the back of your mind in kind of a social setting with a girl, that kind of nervousness feeling. Um, when that completely goes away, it's an incredible experience. It's, 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 it's like a completely different, it's a completely different animal. It's a completely different, um, scenario. Do you get there with guys as well? Um, yeah, I mean, not sexually. Like, I'm not. No, no, no. Well, I'm just saying that descri- <laughs> what you're describing is actually asexual, right? A conversation where you are not judging yourself, not filtered, feel a connection. Like, weirdly enough, unless I missed it, you actually didn't mention like anything in terms of physical intimacy there, in terms of feeling like you're talking to yourself. And so, I'm curious: is oh, this a yeah. female? Is this a female only experience for you? No, no, I no, I've um, yeah, like my best friend back in. LA. I mean, I was able to, there was, there was a couple, there was a few people that were hanging out with me kind of during the kind of the peak of the awakening process. I was, I, I, people would consider me manic. I was like writing all this stuff down. I was on a super like spiritual high. Um, and they were with me the whole time. And yeah, it was kind of the same thing. Like I would just say literally anything, like there wasn't anything that I would hold back because I felt like, I don't know. I just felt like every, all of consciousness was one. I was just like interacting with myself. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was just completely playing with form. Every, 
it was, it was crazy, man. It's, it's such a, a hard thing to really describe, but no, that's when what I all, figured. yeah, when all fears and insecurities go away, um, yeah, it's an incredible experience. And yeah, yeah. So it was just one guy friend, I guess that, yeah, it was like that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's not unique to a sexual experience. It's really about, more about how you interact with the world. It, it comes internally. It's right. Like removing, your you, filter, in, removing your when own filter. Removing your own When you incorporate that into a, a sexual experience, it makes that sexual experience crazy, like completely different than you're used to. Mm-hmm. So it, it enhances it. But yeah, on the basic level, it doesn't have to be. Yeah, a sexual experience. So one uh, uh, changing topics for a moment. One of the things that I've experienced, I've done ayahuasca several times. I've done other psychedelics. I've done a lot of the breathing and the stuff that I'm sure you've been working on. For me, I have very rarely, though I have, had these more universal experiences of oneness, etc. And much more commonly, I have personal experiences, which is to say uh, repressed memories comes up. Things that I didn't realize were traumatic that I hadn't really integrated and were still driving behavior. And I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm curious if in your ayahuasca experience, if there was anything or any particular personal limiter, trauma, something that had been repressed that was holding you back, or if it was just, you know, totally beyond Connor Murphy, the the human. Right. So this is the weirdest thing then, because yeah, I, I, I totally um, get you. This is what I was expecting. When you read about ayahuasca, when you talk to people that do ayahuasca, that's the cool thing about it is this, it's this amazing healing thing. They say it's like 10 years yeah. of therapy and uh, psychiatry. Yeah, yeah. Like, of therapy, you know, and that's what everyone says. And, you know, when I, when we did the, sh- the ceremony afterwards, when we talked about our experiences with the group, they were all talking about, you know, how they were healing their past traumas and stuff. And this is what I was expecting to happen, but it was, this was the weirdest thing is that there was absolutely nothing. Mm. I had no thoughts during that ayahuasca experience that I hadn't experienced or that I hadn't thought about just in the past day. You know, it wasn't like a fresh thought in my mind, nothing from my past, nothing repressed got brought up. It was, and that was surprising. Mm -hmm. It just, I got shot straight, you know, on a whole, a whole deeper, higher level. And, you know, I've been wondering why exactly that was. And, you know, when I tell people this, it, it sounds a little arrogant because it seems like everyone should have some, they call it like shadow work, you know, in yeah. the spiritual community, everyone has some like shadow work to do. Right. But I don't really think that I do. I, I just think that I don't really have any past traumas that are really, really holding me back. And I don't know, that might seem a little arrogant to say, but, um, I think throughout my whole, I mean, I got interested in spirituality years, years, I mean, three, three, four years ago. And I think I did a really good job at accepting everything that's happened to me. And I've always had the mindset that first of all, I mean, you never know. It's very, you know, what's really arrogant is to look at an experience and classify it as positive or negative because you haven't lived your whole life yet. You have no idea what that experience is going to cause in the future, right? You know, it's the butterfly effect, the, the smallest little change in the past can have a profound effect on the future. So I've, and I've always had kind of a stoic philosophy where I just kind of, you know, accept things and look at them in a very positive light. So 
Um, and like forgiveness, anything, anyone, anything that someone has done bad to me, I've never really held it against them or resented them for it. So even before the whole spiritual awakening experience, I mean, the most traumatic thing that's probably happened to me is I was bullied pretty badly, uh, really badly. I mean, physically and, 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 and uh, verbally, all sorts of bullying in middle school, high school, but I never really held on to that. I was very, um, I was I felt kind of even fortunate that that happened to me because if anything, that just caused me back then to like get in shape and build a physique that I, I probably wouldn't be this entrepreneur, this fitness entrepreneur now, if that wouldn't happen, if that wouldn't have happened. So I don't know, man, I, I like, I would love to, if there's some sort of trauma that's holding <laughs> me back from anything, I would love to dive deep down and find it. But I just haven't through all my deep meditations, psychedelic experiences, um, yeah, I, I feel like I just don't really, I don't know. I didn't experience anything like that during the ayahuasca experience. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So I, I mean, of course I don't know anything about anyone. My impression is that uh, perhaps the best metaphor that I've heard is that you can think of a plant which has soil, a stem and a flower. And what I heard a practitioner talk about via Tucker Max is that the soil for many people is their own personal history and their, their traumas, their repression and things like MDMA are very useful for, for moving towards that. Uh, psilocybin is like the connective uh, stem that grows up for a lot of people and it connects some of those uh, repressions to what's holding you back from this infinite oneness and then ayahuasca for many people is the flower which is okay I'm gonna go you know all is one there is no me there is no you etc so my guess is that you were not always a stoic you were once a young infant and like everybody suffered trauma but via this experience might have had a peak experience of the flower. It sounds like almost certainly did. Now, does that mean that nothing happened in your past? No, probably, of course not. If we, if we all were born and we had parents that could not be there 100% of the time, that's not to say that you need to address that personally. You'll find out on your own journey. But I, I wouldn't be so quick to say, because I, I recognize myself and you, that your past was not that bad. I had that same refrain for the longest time. And uh, it's true, because I was very fortunate relative to many, but... What I have learned recently is that uh, very, very young children cannot compare themselves to people that are starving and have had even worse hardship. Right. No, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is like, I feel like I definitely had some, I mean, everyone has some sort of trauma, sure. right? For sure. I just feel like I dealt with that before the ayahuasca experience. Like, I feel like, yeah, I, I, I feel like I kind of just naturally dealt with it it was just something that I was naturally inclined to do mm -hmm. from a very early age was, was deal with it. I never tried to repress anything. I really was very conscious and aware of that kind of stuff. And then by the time the ayahuasca experience came around, I don't think there was much work left to do. And I think that might've been one of the reasons why I had such profound experience is that I feel like a lot of people, if they have a lot of trauma, that's kind of where their mind might go to in the ayahuasca experience. But, and again, it's just a theory, but if you don't, if you've done a lot of that work, you're kind of able to break through the ego and, and kind of transform to that other level. Was that your um, first time with ayahuasca as well? Yeah, it was my first time. I, I'd done like different psychedelics in the past. Not, not a lot, um, you know, like acid and uh, psilocybin a couple of times, but yeah, that was the first ayahuasca experience. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Cool. Do you have anything else that you wanted to add, ask? No, no. You're done on that? Yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I... I'm, I got nothing else. <laughs> okay. I would be, I would love to 
continue to hear the evolution. I'd be very curious. When, when you were going through, we, we don't have to air this. When you were going through your pre-ayahuasca uh, work, did you ever have a period of time where you stopped and like felt your inner child and, and wept for your inner child for all the bullying that you had experienced? Yeah, I, um, I had some... You know, I'm trying to remember exactly a couple moments that I had, but I remember I'm trying to think how, how it went down. I remember a couple times where I started really digging down deep and I remembered stuff that I was like, whoa, what the fuck? Like I hadn't thought about this. Like these things were like repressed. Like I hadn't thought about them for such a long time like these certain bullying things. I was like, how, how in the world did my mind do that? Like they were so, so repressed. Like usually, you know, you're going to have a, a memory of a memory every so often, if that makes sense. You know, you're going to, a lot of things that we remember aren't the actual event itself, but a memory of the, of the event itself, like the last time you remembered it. And I'll have those all the time, like a memory of my childhood. Right. I remember a couple times where, I remembered, like, I really started thinking about it. And I remembered this like traumatic bullying moment for my childhood. And I was like, how had I not thought about that in that many years? Mm -hmm. Like, it's, it's crazy how repressed it was. And so, yeah. And then there was also, there were a couple times really kind of profound moments where I, and I don't remember exactly what it was, but I, I, I remember the feeling behind it was like, I was acting or thinking in a certain way. And I was really questioning to myself, like, why? Why I was acting and thinking in that way? Because it seemed a little irrational. And then there was this huge, like, epiphany moment where I was like, oh, oh, my gosh. Like, it was this event in my uh, childhood. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, I definitely had some moments like that. And that was, that, that was even before I got into meditation. Mm -hmm. You know, that was, uh, so, yeah, I, I've, I, I've had a lot of moments like that. Yeah, I, I only ask, Charlie teases me about this all the time, even on the podcast, because I think I'm in a, a similar position as you, which is to say, always positive. I'm rarely sad, rarely angry. I got bullied as a kid. It was the fuel I used to get muscular, to f become, you know, to focus on financial success, like to focus on getting better with women. I basically took all that pain and I went, this is my jet fuel and I'm going to do, I'm going to become the perfect man in health, wealth and relationships. And in my mind, and I've also, I mean, I've done ayahuasca a lot of times. So I've had experiences where I focus on like the death of a grandfather or where I blast off into space and become the universe. I feel like I'm very incomplete because I haven't dealt with that. And I imagine there will come a time where I just have to ball my eyes out. I, I don't cry. Uh, I haven't cried in like 10 years. I'll just have to curl up in a ball and cry for all the pain I've repressed. Uh, but maybe I'm wrong and maybe, uh, maybe I'm actually good or may we'll, we'll see, I guess. So the reason I ask is because I feel like I'm in the same spot as you. Um, but have just assumed that I'm in process. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's weird, man. It's uh it's tough to say. And again, I think it's like a spectrum too. And you know, like Eckhart Tolle would say that you can dissolve all that just simply by being present that you don't even have to go back, you know? And I think that you can do both. I think that both helps, but Eckhart Tolle will say, yo, all, all that stuff. I mean, it doesn't even exist and you can actually dissolve it through the present moment. And so if someone has done enough, you know, presence work like meditation. I guarantee you like a Buddhist monk 
he could have had some traumatic experiences as a child, but if he's meditated for 5,000 hours, I, I don't think it's in his mind anymore. Yeah. You know, I don't think that he has to go back and deal with that. So I think, I think that going back, it might be like a shortcut and it might have a, a lot of effects really quickly. But I think just in general, living your life really, really present and staying aware, I think that that dissolves it as well. Maybe not like as quickly as tackling it head on, but I think that both ways are, are really beneficial. I think people should do both. No, I agree. I agree. I actually don't know the answer is the truth. If you spend a lifetime repressing something, whether it's a memory, a trauma or sadness, I, I don't know if you have to experience that in order to release it or not, because I've heard that you do. And then obviously, to your point, like a monk might not. Um, yeah, and I wouldn't say like the monk the is, I don't think the monk is really repressing it because he's being aware. But it's like if the mind kind of opens up and if, if anything comes up, it's just like acceptance and then it passes away and you recognize it as a, as, a, as a thought. You don't get attached to it. And so, and that's the thing, like now, if, if I, if a traumatic experience kind of got brought up, I would feel it would be tough for me to really cry about it and really get super attached to it. If I didn't want to, that's, this is the weird thing is like, I, I kind of have control over my response to things now. Mm -hmm. Like if I, if a traumatic experience came up and I wanted to dive down deep into it and really, really concentrate on it and feel the emotion behind it, I could. But then again, if, if that came up, you know, I'm still recognizing it as not necessarily me, just this appearance in consciousness, yeah. right? Just this thought. And I could just let it pass and just, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm in the so, same boat, man. I guess the question is, do we both have a really big cry sometime in our future? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I've done a lot of, of, of those big cries. I feel like if you haven't, like, I think crying is really good for the soul, man. Like, for sure. I think I've cried fairly recently over, I had a, Oh, what was, what was I crying over? It was something, um, I don't know, just some really warm feeling for like my family or something like that when I, I, I on my last uh, psychedelic experience with psilocybin. Mm -hmm. And no, it, it's great. It's it's actually a wonderful emotion. Like even, even the really horrible sadness, sad crying, like not even the happy, warm crying, the sad crying can be an, an incredible emotion mm -hmm. if you have the right mindset behind it. Yeah. Right. Um, you start, if you can get into a place where you just kind of are present and experiencing things and you don't, you, you stop seeing these negative experiences as negative and just seeing them as these incredible human experiences. And it's like, you feel sadness, but you don't necessarily suffer, sure. right? There's not that resistance and it can actually be pretty beautiful. So yeah, I would welcome it, man. Yeah. <laughs> I got I got to go pivot. For it. You ready for a pivot? Yeah, go for How it. is the family, man? Last I saw you were trying to enlighten them and then at last I saw you were crying <laughs> because uh of something your sister had said to you when she was going through a hard time. So what's what's going on now? Oh yeah, they're good. They're good. They've um they kind of understand everything. They've forgiven me for all that. They uh they're just they're they're glad that it's over with. They're glad that I'm done with the 40 day fast for sure. But yeah, I, I talk to them, um, every few days. They're really cool. They're really supportive of everything and very accepting. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm very lucky to have them, but yeah. Uh, yeah, they're nice. great. Things are back. Things are back to being in a good spot. Yeah. In fact, the cool thing is, is that I think that that whole experience brought us a lot closer together. Like for sure. Like I talked to them a lot more. Um, I've, during that whole time, I mean, I had some deep conversations with my dad that like I've never had before. Like we've talked about like 
yeah, some really deep stuff that we normally don't talk about. And I feel like I can talk to them more. I, I felt like I was before I was always a little shy around my parents, you know, like there was like we were close and we were happy, but I was always a little shy around them. I feel like the whole experience really brought us a lot closer together. I feel like like in cool. the end, it seemed pretty positive, man. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I mean, to sort of decide that question with the last one, I just my my thinking whether one needs to re- address trauma and, and repression or whether one can Eckhart Tolle sit down on that bench and just break through. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I think ultimately the measure for anybody is one subjective experience of life. Like, are you suffering or not <laughs> is, is the biggest question. And then two, because sometimes we can hide our suffering from ourselves. How a great question to ask people around you is like, how do you perceive me? Like, am I a hard ass, pain in the ass, very difficult person, even though I say I'm bright and happy. Do you see me as compulsive or, or uh, unfree in any way? And I think those, some combination of those two measures is like, okay, do you need to go back and do it or don't you? Um, and so the reason that, that I, Ben says I always tease him is because like Ben is a happy guy, but I also know some of Ben's compulsions and Ben's other things. And I go, okay, this compulsion didn't arise out of nowhere. So there's still more. And I don't know you nearly as well. So I've, you know, I have no idea. Yeah. And I mean, I'm always, I'm trying to be aware of it. You know, I, I would love to see some sort of, I, I love to all of a sudden be aware of some sort of compulsion where I could be like, Oh, hold up. That's not cool. Let me think about it. Let me go back. You know, I, I just, I haven't really, but besides the last one, the big one was all, you know, sex thing that I really kind of realized. I thought it was so normal just because all guys kind of operated that way. Yeah, I assume I, that's what you're giving me a hard time about, right? <laughs> that's, that's a good one. <laughs> it's tough, but I think if you do enough work, you can get to a point where, and again, that's it's weird because that's so biological and not necessarily psychological, you know? You know, I would, like, disagree, like, I would disagree there. So I think, uh, sorry sorry to cut you off. Feel, finish your thoughts. No, well, I, I just, I mean, there's it's, it's both, right? But um, there there's such a biological component to it. People could be doing it for a, a, a psychological reason, for mm. sure, but... There's that drive that's always going to be there biologically, no matter what. So it depends. Like some people, some people do it for validation, right? Like for sure. Um, is, this is way more common on the on the girl aspect on the on the girl spectrum, right? They'll you know do these uh, these you know sexual encounters for validation more often. Um, but um, that's interesting. So I I don't necessarily disagree with you, but I think that uh, many of our viewers might. So can you elaborate there? Do you think that women seek validation via sex more than men? Um, I I think I yeah I think so because on the one hand, if you look at it from a like a biological perspective, um, guys guys are supposed to have I guess less attachment to sex in general because. If you look at it from an evolutionary perspective, what will pass the genes on, I mean, they just go and spread their seed as much as they can, right? They don't have a lot of, um, they, they don't pick and choose very specifically, you know? Girls, on the other hand, there's a lot more to it. Um, but I think, like, so for guys, I guess it's a lot more physical. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll find that guys are much more, uh, like, visually stimulated, you know, that's why, I mean, guys watch a lot more porn. Girls watch porn too, but like guys, guys do more often because they're more visually stimulated. Girls are more emotionally stimulated. And so rather than just having sex for the pure physicality behind it, usually they have some ulterior motive. And that's why, you know, like for a girl to pick up a guy, just like, yo, you want to, you want to have sex? The guy will be like, oh yeah, sure. Fun. 
but to, for the average girl, you know, you have to portray yourself in a socially calibrated way. You have to like, it, it helps to, you know, have that good game, whatever you want to call it, you know? And yeah. So I think because of that whole mechanism, girls end up, um, I don't know. I, I, I've just had, I had too many. I thought we were going to get gr- some personal stories. That's why I was asking. <laughs> I, I've had so many, I, this has happened a lot actually, like where girls are, you know, they see my social media and they come over and they will literally tell me, they'll be like, Oh my gosh, this is going to be such a cool story to like tell my friends. Wow. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, they like, they'll say that like explicitly. I mean, this has happened many, many times. And so it's obvious. It's like, yeah, they didn't care about how good the sex would feel or whatever. Like they're, they're just, you know, looking for like a validation behind it, you know? And I'm not saying, I'm not saying all girls do this for sure. It's just, I feel like that it's more often than than guys. I I would argue that it's just that both genders do it, but differently. Cause I think women, some women will have sex for validation. Absolutely. I think men will too. And I think it rears its head in terms of when you care at all or think at all about how the woman looks next to you or how your friends will view you, if that makes you feel good because you're like, oh, she's so attractive. My friends are seeing me with her. That's validation. If you feel good because you were able to take her down and that gives you a sense of pride that you're a man worthy of a woman like that, that's the validation. I mean, basically everything besides the being naked alone in a room together is the validation. I think, uh, by the way, even saying that you're the kind of guy who can have sex with four women in a week, even if no individual encounter is validation-based, the fact that you're identifying, not you personally, I'm saying anyone, that's validation. That's, I'm the kind of guy that can get four women in a week. So I think actually, it's probably evenly split amongst the genders, but rears its head in very different ways, where a guy might care less about the Instagram followers, but would care more about the the way their friend looks at them with a judgmental look or with a approving look. Yeah, no, I agree, man. And again, I'm not completely sure. I'm just kind of going off my experience. I mean, like, because I mean, like, I'm a guy and I felt like my compulsion was a lot more physical. Like, I, I feel like I didn't have any kind of egoic attachments around sex. Like, at least not that many. Like, I, a lot of guys, they'll be embarrassed. Like, if they sleep with a certain girl who's not that attractive or you know, like guys who have like really, really high, like standards. Right. Mm-hmm. I didn't like, I didn't give a fuck. I don't care about what my friends think about me. I, I didn't care at all. Like it was more just like, you know, I just wanted to have sex. Like, cause I was like from a, a physical standpoint, you know? So yeah, who knows? I mean, yeah, everyone has to do their deep digging down and, and seeing exactly why they're doing everything that they're doing. But I'm sure, I'm sure it goes both ways for guys and girls. So, I mean, yeah, that's, this is society we live in, man. I mean, everyone is doing stuff for external validation, whether it's sex or, you know, the job that they're getting. That's the most common one is just like people are trying to be successful to, you know, cause that's what people think is value in today's society. So sure. yeah, it just no, all depends. With no judgment. I think everybody does things every day that try to get validation. I think every person that's ever posted on Instagram is largely doing it for validation. I think uh, it's it's something that I don't say makes you a bad person um, or makes one a bad person, but it's just something that I think everyone's doing of all genders all the time. We live in a very, we live in a society, I think, that feels like maybe I'm not good enough, maybe I don't deserve love, and I'm gonna try to 
solve that internal angst, not through meditation, but through constantly pinging to see if I do with how many likes I get, how many comments I get, how many DMs I get. And uh, I think that's all validation seeking. Yeah, I agree 100%. All right, dude, I'm gonna let you go. Enjoy the, uh, looks like sunshine down there. You're in Austin, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, man. Well, we'll let you have a wonderful day down there. Thanks for coming on. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.